Lentils and jelly spoons. Welcome to Truth, Love, and Peace. Thanks for joining us. Fired at the microphone just in time to hear that big old diesel engine rev up. Mmm. Mmm. Good timing. Good timing. Joining me today, uh, from the car again, Mr. Chris Acreage. The car sessions. Thanks for having us. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for making some time for us. So we'll fire this up on Facebook Live so you can share it while we're doing this. Press record for Facebook, all that good stuff. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, and we are here at the beautiful Paradise Inn on Pensacola Beach. That's right. We can we could pan over and show you the the Paradise Inn sign even. Look, darn, 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 darn. Right there. There it is. Oh, that's a good view. We should just leave you on camera. <laughs> it looks way better. You've got the better view out the window. Oh man! So here we are in Pensacola, and I started bugging you because um, I wouldn't call it bugging. Well, you yeah. know, it's always good for me to hear from you. I uh, I said I shouted out to you because I've seen all the stuff you guys have been doing on Facebook, which is awesome. You guys are making stuff happen, and uh, you have always been a go-getter. And I would read your bio and accolades for you, but I bet you can do a better job. Catch me up. We'll catch all these people up on uh, on what's going on, and I think people will figure out that we know each other through the music world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've been booking music in the uh, Gulf Coast region for probably the last five years. Uh, I started out with a band called Hotel Oscar out of Destin. Mm -hmm. uh, we made our rounds to the southeast, anywhere from as far south as Key West, as far west as New Orleans, far north as Chicago, and we made our rounds. I uh, got the fortunate enough to be able to make some connections with the guys from the Revivalists that came through this area. Uh, Pensacola is one of their breakout scenes. Uh, they used to be playing up and down this exact same strip of the beach that we're sitting on about eight years ago. And uh, I got to book quite a few support acts for them over the years, which is really amazing. They're a great band, and uh, I think everybody in this area wants to have the uh, same story of success that they have because they're definitely ones that uh, went and got it and spent many, many, many years and many, many miles on the road to be able to make their success happen. And uh, from hardworking musicians, we, uh, you know, that's the story we like to hear. You know, yeah. they were not an overnight success. It definitely took a long time. That's... Uh, you know, past that, I've, I've worked with Nick and the Overalls. I recently was managing Post Pluto. Uh, long live Post Pluto. Unfortunately, we're on a, a little bit of a hiatus right now. But uh, And then uh, about six weeks ago, I decided that it was finally time, after uh, spending some time in reflection and figuring things out, to go ahead and launch my own entertainment company, which is uh, Scent Entertainment Co. Got a new hat in. Congratulations. I like it. Yep. If you're I like looking it. for some new merch, it's going to be on our website here pretty soon. Very nice. Just a few Very weeks. Nice. Looking at some samples, picking out some colors, doing it. But uh, generally, yeah, it's it's a um, a booking agency at the foundation. But realistically, I'm really more interested in uh, developing some of the undercard talent that we have in this region, particularly in the southeast, because uh, you know this is an area where we have so much freaking talent. I mean, yeah. like the players that we have in this area are absolutely insane, uh, and you know there's a large void for someone to be able to come and and develop that talent to become something that uh, that hits the road and becomes something that's more than what it is. And you know, I'm just here to add value and try and bring some some new life to a to a music scene that uh, has a lot of potential, particularly here in Pensacola. That's awesome, man. And it's good to see you work. It's good to see you work. The uh, the of course, being a brass player, 
my ears perked up real quick when I saw that y'all were working with uh, what was it? Uh, which was what was the name of the brass band from New well, Orleans? We had we had there two of them. I yeah, always get had, confused. Well, we had two of them back to back. I have a pretty good partnership with Chris Wilkes at Final Music Hall, and um, you know I've worked with the Rebirth Brass Band is probably the one that's that working your ears the most. Yep, those uh, guys which, are great. You know, How was that? Uh, fantastic. I've worked with with Stu Shiat, who's uh, the production manager over at the Howlin' Wolf in New Orleans and he manages and oversees uh, Rebirth Brass Band cool. and uh, I, I remember meeting him back in the uh, Hotel Oscar days we did a lot of shows in New Orleans with them and whenever they'd come through our market we would always support them in, in our hometown and then uh, that was that was paired with um, John Hart um, one of the best players here in town um, definitely hands down one of the most talented musicians that we have in this area yeah, has a new outfit called player. Big Jam Space Driver uh, yeah. Which is like, you know, very snarky puppy meets Grant Green inspired, like instrumental funk, jazz. It's very yes. heavy, aggressive jazz music. Um, and that consists of John Hart, uh, Adam Cooper, um, nice. little Chris Spees uh, from Lee Yankee and the Hells Yeah. He's currently on tour with Samantha Fish, uh, who's killing the game right now. Good, uh, good. It's also got Owen Finley, hometown hero. Oh, where is Batman? Yeah, where is Batman? <laughs> Batman, if you're listening. Throw a comment on this post. Uh, heck yeah, man. <laughs> and then uh, wrapping things up with Jonathan Ashley on drums, who's uh, an absolute monster. I think I know Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah John's, yeah. John's a great player. He's got a really, really uh, unique touch to the way that he plays drums. That's great. And uh, yeah, it's definitely admirable. But yeah, we had Big Jam Space Driver supporting Rebirth at Vinyl, and then actually the very next week, uh, Soul Rebels, also from New Orleans, uh, came into town, and uh, Big Jam was also on that bill. And then uh, they're going to be making cool. their headlining debut uh, in Pensacola, April 28th at Chizuko. Um, yeah. It's a new spot in town. It's a really cool hip vibe. Yes, um, yes. I've done comedy there. That's yeah. a, a, another venue we haven't Yeah, come. we're actually going to be um, <laughs> throwing our, like, the company's been launched for the last, like, six weeks, but uh, people are just kind of starting to notice that it's on the scene, that it's like, you know, I'm making progress with that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but that's going to be like our official launch party. So Very cool. uh, it's got a really cool lineup. It's going to be Big Jam Space Driver headlining, uh, Mobiles, yeah, probably as support, and a gentleman named Joshua Zook out of the Destin Market uh, as the uh, as the opener for that show. So Heck yeah, yeah calendars. Yeah, yeah, probably is a, a great a great talent that I'm happy to to be bringing through some some new areas, particularly over here and towards the Destin Panama City area. Sean White and Philbo. Uh, Baggins, Shay White, Shay Baggins, yeah, Phillips, Excuse a monster. Me. I apologize. Oh, that's good. I, no, I apologize to you, Shay, for calling <laughs> you a snowboarder's name. Yeah, it's Shay White, uh, Philip Baggins, and Quentin Ayers, uh, who was also a player in the Hotel Oscar days. Um, and yeah, yeah Quentin, Quentin. Yeah, yeah, Quentin. He's a bad man with jamma. He's yes. bad man with jamma. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're gonna be here tonight actually at Seville Quarter in Pensacola. Uh, doing a back-to-back -back night run. They'll be here tonight, tomorrow night, and then uh, I've got John Hart filling out the Saturday to, to wrap up the weekend over there. Um, that sounds like a great weekend. Yeah, dude, we got a lot of great music coming up. Whole lot of whole lot of stuff coming. That's awesome. That's that is a a very very exciting thing. Just to um, to see more people picking up the mantle and uh, and getting into homegrown music. I see it as part of a an overarching trend in the way that media is controlled, you know, with the fall of these big indus industries and and radio programming and mm -hmm. going more the way of independent 
uh, companies and independent labels and independent studios and yeah it's interesting how that happened because you know you know if you were to rewind 20 years ago from today you know as far as particularly on the side of record labels there was probably four to five times the amount of labels back then and then slowly as the years went by all those record labels were bought out by bigger conglomerates but when the conglomerate companies get so big ironically it opens up more doors than it closes because it allows a whole nother market from what I would call the undercard status of music mm -hmm. scenes to start making more of a difference because you know once once you're bought into the system you become the system to a certain degree right you know? it's very true it's very true it, well and it's part of the cycles of everything that uh, that we see this this concentration of power that that just ruins art for a little while or at least it seems to ruin art I'm putting a chokehold on it, but technology seems to have helped to all of us find a way through through the limitations of Nashville or any of these other scenes. You know, I, I'm pretty keen on what Netflix is doing these days. Between Netflix and YouTube, I, I get a lot of my media from just those two. Yeah, I do too. I mean, Netflix has definitely made a lot of moves, and I feel like everything, you know, in terms of media is just all about, like... And I think just generally in life, like, instant gratification has become such a thing. And mm -hmm. so everything is kind of moving towards that platform. So, I mean, I remember when Netflix originally was just a system that was designed where you got mailed DVDs. You'd watch them, you'd return them, and you had, like, a little queue. And, you know, it'd do that. And I don't, I don't even know if that exists in their platform anymore. It might, but I don't know anybody, I don't know personally anybody who uses it for a DVD service. I mean, it's all gone to streaming. Right. I mean, hell, we're in, sitting in a car talking about, you know, life, music, and, and everything in between. And, mm -hmm. you know, we plugged up a camera, got a microphone going, and... 30 seconds, we're here and, and talking. Voila. Voila, that's how it works. Welcome to the future, people. Thanks Welcome to the future. <laughs> Welcome to the future. I enjoy it, though. I enjoy the fact that the being able to contribute to documenting history. Like, I've been thinking a lot about how constrained we are by fake news. Like, just bad science. Well, you don't mean the type of fake news, that <laughs> The uh, term that gets thrown around these no, days no, quite no, so no. much. <laughs> A little less the comedic version, and yeah. more the... It's really hard to cut through the noise of just poor reporting and biased science and, uh, and get to good information. It used to... It used to be more qualitative. Now, in the age of massive amounts of information, it seems to be quantitative. In that, it doesn't matter if it's all the most polished sources for your science. Oh yeah, and the science pretty much gets thrown out of the window to begin with. Like, especially from the journalistic standpoint, like all the the, the outlets that used to report news now report opinion based <laughs> facts so that's that's it's that's so the that's what i truly call fake news when when you, you can report some yeah. facts but then when you meld it with a slanted opinion then the facts are no longer really the facts they're facts that are leading into a conversation that you're dictating you're you're yeah. controlling the narrative at that point well and who are all these people that thought they could just have their own stations and their own shows and be john stewart without being funny like infotainment 
is not tainment without jokes funny haha well yeah and it's very hard to be able to to follow and see with the way that john did things i mean john stewart was the man <laughs> right and and who is who, who over at fox thinks that they're really doing anybody a service i don't know i saw a headline today that trump uh was bragging about feeding the whatever trudeau from canada bad information in a meeting like he was admitting to lying to the guy and pulling one over on him, it's like, oh my god, I, don't, I have to I don't read about think that this. He has problems with like admitting the fact that he stretches the truth. I think he kind of like prides himself to that, you know. I feel like, but I don't know, you know. I try to stay away from too hardcore of the the political side of the game to a certain degree. Although, you know, I do feel like there are definitely some opportunities. We'll call them that. Yes. For improvement. Oh yes, there, <laughs> there are plenty of them. That's that's the nice way that I can say things. <clears throat> I find myself just being lost on the whole uh, policy standpoint of any of it, and it's just, I'm just kind of abhorred at how okay everybody is with lying. Yeah. It's like, we can't we can't keep this up. This isn't good for anybody to just have to wade through all this knee-deep lies every day. Yeah. Like, can we just cut to the truth and try and figure out how to make everybody happy because everybody wants the same thing I think it's not that complicated but all this infighting and pitting people against each other and it's yeah yeah oh it's gone it's run amok it is run amok it's run amok it's one of my favorite terms I love I love the phrasing run amok I see a gaggle of geese or or some small birds when I think of run amok like the kind of birds that when they're running from afar are cute but when they're running at you are terrifying yeah like, that's running amok. I don't mess with geese, man. <laughs> I lived in Nashville for a few years, and uh, man, I'll tell you, the geese over in Nashville do not play. Why is this? I have no idea. I don't know. Sounds what, like there's a story here, Chris. I don't know what people did to them. I I, I don't know. I, I, what did they do to you? They, they didn't do anything to me. I would see a lot of people get chased away. I don't know. I feel like every city, I guess I haven't really had a, a an outworldly bird experience while I've been in Pensacola, but... Uh, Definitely when I lived in, when I was going to school in Orlando, I actually, uh, I went to full sale for a, for bachelor's in music business. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'd always had uh, an interest in music from a young age. I used to, I DJ'd for 38 Radio out in Seaside when I was in high school, uh, up until I left for college. And then got my bachelor's in music business and moved back and stayed in town for a year and then left for Nashville and then, you know, realized that, you know, while it's great to be like a part of a scene that's already moving, you know, there's only so much that you can contribute to a scene like that. True. And Nashville is, you know, it's an amazing town for music in some ways, but at the other side of the game, you know, Nashville as a town in like, you know, I always use the term undercard, and generally when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about like the the working class musicians, if you will. Um, Nashville has a very jaded mentality. You know, it's a lot of amazing players that play on Broadway 12 hours a day um, for tip money generally and you know small hourly wage um, but they literally play a four-hour set they move to another bar down the street they do another one and then they do a late night one after a couple hours break and then you've got your singer-songwriters which you know that's where a lot of people I think go to Nashville to be able to pave the way for their successes to try and go the singer-songwriter route but the truth is in Nashville singer-songwriters you know you've got dime a dozen I mean Everybody in Nashville wants a publicist deal and is trying to publish music and songs and write that next, you know, country hit. And, 
you know. Uh, but in Nashville, there's a lot of really cool, like, like again, you know, the working class musicians. There's some great bands out of Nashville. It's just unfortunate that when you get into a climate that's that competitive, it's very hard to exist, especially financially speaking, as a band, to play in a market that has so much competition. Because when you have so much, you know, it's, it's basic economics. You have so much supply, the demand is very, very low because they have. 8 million bands in Nashville or 8 million solo artists they can pick from and that mm -hmm. makes it to where as a, as a musician that's trying to do it full time and, and really trying to make a living off of it it makes that a struggle which is you know particularly for here is where I see and it's why I have a lot of time invested particularly here on the Gulf Coast and in Pensacola because you know on the other side of that game I'm interested in not only working with bands in Pensacola but trying to find bands from outside of the city to be able to bring in you know I'm looking at trying to find the best bands from a city that's within you know three to four hours of here you know I'm trying to bring acts from New Orleans into Pensacola acts from Mobile particularly in the in the Pensacola Tallahassee um, the central Florida market where you know things get a little bit more competitive in Tampa and Orlando where they have you know similar situations because bands can come through and and this is a, a town and a, and a region that you know the people really appreciate music mm -hmm. they do um, but I do find in some degrees are, are bands that that get stuck in the same cycle mm. um, where you know they they play you know a lot of the same places pretty consistently um, there's not a lot of momentum moving forward and, and then on the same token there's not a lot of you know promotion that's done for themselves as musicians you know the days of of bands printing flyers and having them up at their shows you know a month even a month or a couple weeks in advance before they come have kind of like faded and i feel like particularly in this area it's kind of twofold you know you've got so much need for live entertainment based off of the you know the tourism and the market that we live in right so you know the the pay is is pretty pretty substantial for for a band that might not have made a break or played a major music festival or you know have three albums out right now or anything like that mm -hmm. but it kind of does a couple things you know the venues or some of the bars treat bands like entertainers and not as artists um, and on the other side bands don't promote their shows like shows they're looking at them like gigs and when those two things happen at the same time it, it's non-stop it's bands not putting forth effort to be able to promote shows in a correct way to make it a real <coughs> show and then on the other side of thing you've got you know bars that 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 bring them in and, and and really are looking for and not to say that the performance is any lackluster the performance is definitely there and the players are there but it's just the concept of they're looking at an artist as an entertainer and not as an artist that's protecting their art form Right. Which is kind of like where I'm wanting to really try and make some work into because you know, I feel like that's um I feel like over time that will become the standard if it hasn't already become that way right now. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, you have to add value to change things. And I feel like if if a collection of bands or even if one starts to to make noticeable moves and really start to promote shows then it it triggers other artists to look at that and go, that's the right thing. Mm -hmm. I want to do that. Yeah. And once it starts, you know, it makes the market more competitive um, to where, you know, it, it makes other bands have to do that because if they don't do that, then 
You know, if everybody starts to promote their shows the right way, then the ones who don't will fall to the wayside to a degree, and, mm-hmm. and the choice will it's survival of the fittest in that way. And um, that's something I, I definitely would like to see more of. And that's why, you know, when I decided I wanted to do sound entertainment company, I didn't want to be a guy that simply made phone calls. Mm. You know, I want to add value for the artist and for the venue. You know, because it's a hand in hand thing. I feel like sometimes. Um, and, and even as an agent, you know, you have to have to always think about both parties that are involved. And, you know, we work as hard as we can for the artists that we represent or or manage in, in that degree. And it's always about, you know, making sure we get the best opportunities for them. But on the other side, you know, we also have to be gracious with the houses that host these bands because mm-hmm. it has to be has to make sense for them as well. Um, and that's kind of my challenge for for myself and definitely the expectations that I have for the artists that I'm working for or working with. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that we, as a unit in this music scene, need to step our game up to start to make headway and make things happen to kind of change the the stigma Mm -hmm. of the way that some of the the music happenings kind of work. Um, But again, like this area is rich with amazing talent. I mean. I could run off 12, 15 bands in this area that I love that are hands down better than some bands that are regional touring acts that kill it, you know, that oh, yes. that are doing. But And the difference is that that, uh, that side of the business are promoting and, and really presenting yourself as more than a group of guys that play music together. You know, it's an entity. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a brand. Yeah. You know? The brand, that's the hard thing. People sometimes... Sometimes people get confused about what brand is, I think, and don't they don't live it like it's it's pretend for the moment exactly. as opposed to owning it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the best brands are the ones that you're like, well, of course that's your brand. Yeah, and that's why like when I decided not, it took me honestly, I'd say that was actually the biggest holdup for me really getting like a company started was what in the hell do I call it? Mm. And when I started working with Post Pluto and I moved out to Pensacola, and I had been running bands through this market, I mean, that's how I met you, mm-hmm. um, you know, out in Orange Beach, Perdido, Florida, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I, when I was thinking about what I was going to name it, when I first moved to Pensacola, I got with Post Pluto, and they were the first band that I think I ever worked with that I would have clearly defined as a jam band, mm. like a straight jam band. And with that culture of, of jam scene and, and melting face guitar solos and you know, <laughs> length of instrumental breaks without without vocals and being in the festival scene you know you're always familiar with the term send it bro yeah you know? <laughs> out there and send it. so you know uh as i like kind of got more involved in in that side of music because it was something that was new for me you know um i started to be able to to, to have post pluto at, at swanee Halloween and they had played there before and that opened up a whole new realm of music for me going to that festival and if you haven't been to one, dude, that is that not. is hands down the best music event I've ever been to. Every time I go back, it is again the best thing that I've ever been to. I just have to do this one apparently. The experience of Halloween is absolutely amazing. But yeah, that concept of sending it like literally kind mm-hmm. of that was where I got and it's, it's actually a little funny annotation too, like uh Jeffrey Smith, our, our keyboard player on Post Pluto, he would he he was a skateboarder and I would always, you know, give him a little flack about like, you know, being the the bro, like, you know. Mm-hmm. He would always say sick. And <laughs> and if so Scent Entertainment Co., the acronym is S E C. 
<laughs> and if you say it out loud as if it's a word, it is I'm not gonna sick. Do <laughs> <laughs> so there's some puns on puns on puns. Then obviously, you know, the logo, you know, itself Good. has the the wording with the the rock hand yes. above it. So it's all it's all encompassing, and it all comes back to That's great. to a little bit of homage from like you know my post Pluto days, and then you know those guys were definitely a, a big inspiration for me to. Um, to really try and, and get out there and really do the damn thing, you know. And I yeah. I miss every day of working with that band. I actually uh you know, I really mm -hmm. hope we can we can come back at some point. Hopefully not too far away and, and actually do some like, you know, a couple pop up shows, even if it's not something where, you know, we're gonna to go back to full time gigging, you know, five days a week or something like that or hit the road that right. you know, we can at least come back together. Because, I mean we released an album literally the last show that we did was our album release so when we figured out that things were going to be changing you know the biggest uh, conversation was we have so much material that we've never put out that we've played at all these live shows and we want to release it to mm -hmm. everybody that's listened to us over the past year so we cut a live record at vinyl music hall um nice. actually got those guys to to give us the room on an off night and yeah. we went in there under closed doors and cut a record front to back in in a day that's great yeah it's pretty cool sorry gonna... people we're, we're adjusting our parking spot here yeah you don't have to quit on my account we're just people are giving me funny looks about the parking space so oh, we're gonna, well, we're gonna turn around. are you yeah. sure they're not just giving you funny looks that's because i smoke a lot of pot apparently yeah, well oh, that checks out it, it does it, <laughs> it, 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 that checks out that and we're gonna turn around so we can put the camera on the pretty view for a minute yeah, we're just gonna look people's dogs oh, goodness dogs. gracious I'm a big avid fan of the doggo. Dog memes are life. What? Say that again? Doggo? Yeah, doggo. Are you familiar with the term doggo? No. D-O-G-G-O? I don't know. It's kind of like an internet meme culture type situation. It's kind of hard to describe. But it's a lifestyle. I believe you. <laughs> Could you tell by the uh, the conviction in my voice? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to sneak into this little corner over here. At least this way, if people give us funny looks now. Look, I'm taking up less than a parking space. People giving me a hard time. I think I saw a comment from Ryan Balthrop. Oh, Ryan Balthrop? What's up, Ryan? Ryan Balthrop's the dude. I met Ryan through Owen Finley. I mean, I think I've met everybody through Owen Finley. I think. Hang Owen... on, back up. Say that one more time. <laughs> you think you met Ryan Balthrop through Owen Finley? Exactly. Just so we can get that on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, I, I met. Ryan Balthrop through Owen Finley. I think I've met so many, many incredible musicians through Owen Finley. I feel like Owen is the um, sit-in champion of the world. <laughs> <laughs> the sit-in champion of the world. I love it. It's actually really funny. Some friends of ours in uh, New Earth Army, uh, this guy Mac Michael Flato, is, uh, he puts on a music festival in Fort Walton every year called RevFest, and uh, Owen is playing with three different acts on the festival. It's a one-day fest, and Owen's on... <laughs> three different acts and I know he definitely has his eyes on sitting in with like you know maybe a fourth or a fifth so That's I there's a, a very large humorous thread on Facebook where uh, I had photoshopped Owen's face over the entire lineup and dubbed it Owen's Rev Fest <laughs> <laughs> Owen's Rev Fest 2018 <laughs> That's great But That's yeah great. Owen's the jam dude He's the man the man with the planes awesome Man I'm still getting used to my hair getting caught behind me yes Owen, I, the last time I was hanging out with Owen was over at the Brickyard in Mobile. Uh, he's playing with Yellowhammer and some of those cats. 
Um, the Dolphin Street Sound Squad. Yes. Yeah, yes. they've been doing some cool things All over in Mobile. Guys. I won't lie, like watching, uh, you know, what what Ben Jernig and the crew over there have been doing, have got me thinking. Definitely, when I when I first met those guys, I was like, you know what? We can do this in Pensacola. Oh hell yeah! You know, it's one of those things, and I feel like the the market here is is gearing up for something that's bigger like that. Vinyl Music Hall is is killing it with bookings. Are they? Oh. Hell yeah. I don't get to make it out to many shows. Well, I'm not a big show person. I'm uh, I'm more of a sit in the car and talk to people kind of guy. But uh, I like to go to shows. <laughs> and I'm the kind of guy, it's really funny, like, uh, especially if I like to go to shows with musicians because as musicians we watch music differently. Yes. Like, I'm the guy that I, I'm not the rail rider at a show. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be standing at the very front, like, yeah. you know, doing the thing. Me either. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be as close as I can to the soundboard because I'm not only watching the band, like I'm watching what, what's going what's on. What's going on here? Scenes. Yeah. Right? Like I like to watch, you know, I like to watch sound checks when I go to festivals. I like to go to the, the set, like, you know, 20 minutes before start time. Cause I like to see the, the, the scramble to get things set up in that like 20 minute break in between <laughs> bands to be able to get things set up the real magic exactly particularly you know uh, a band that uh, you know Gordon Frank uh, had introduced me to is Umphreys McGee mm, yeah Umphreys is oh man incredible you am incredible. holy hell but their lighting director Dave Waffle is like a god among men when yeah. it comes to I mean have you seen an Umphreys McGee show? No, again, I don't. Even if you don't have to, you don't even have to see it. Umphreys is really cool because a lot of times when they're on the road, they do live, full live streams for free. You can stream it on YouTube. You can watch it on your TV if you have Chromecast. You awesome. can, and it's the full show in straight, like beautiful HD, and you can watch every second of it. And it, I mean, it, it's not the same as being there, but it's pretty damn close. I mean, it's. I've definitely watch some Umphreys McGee streams from, you know, my couch, couch tour. The couch tour. The couch yeah. tour. But yeah, Dave's the man. It, like, watching that guy work is uh, incredible. Lighting is something that I've I've developed a stronger and stronger, like, interest in, especially over the last couple of years. And um, I actually do have, like, my own, like, moving head kit that's got some good power to it. I mean, it's nice. not the most, it's not anything that's going to, like, fill up a Civic Center or anything like that, but uh, especially when I bring it into some, like, smaller mid-sized rooms, it uh, it definitely can turn some heads. It makes it's, a difference. It's a lot of fun. It makes a difference. Uh, but yeah, watching that guy, it's, he's, he's playing an instrument that's, you know, I'm not going to say that it's as in intricate as playing uh, the notes that Umphreys McGee do on, on guitar, but uh, it's damn close. Mm -hmm. It's it's every bit as valuable. Yeah. It's a different skill, but it's a skill nonetheless. Because being able, in a way, it's the bridge between good music and people that are hooked in this gotcha, quick news feed, you know, social media mindset of we need sound bites. Because you can take an extended solo. And with the right lighting application, with the right visual applications, you can make it easier for that musician to hold an audience's attention. Yeah. Which, that's a that's a huge thing, to be able to aid someone who is already doing something that's so phenomenal. Like, a, first off, a guitar player shouldn't need any help holding the audience's attention. And it's sad that we have to discuss this in this day and age. Yeah, well... That being said... <laughs> I feel like some of that has to do with, you know, every... 
the real artists don't have that problem because sure. the the real artists have their audience like their audience appreciate them for the art that they they do right and like, a lot of times i mean there's always going to be you're always going to have the people that that have that tendency to lose their attention or to you know be that guy on their phone in the very front or you know you're always going to have those people at shows you're not going to be able to avoid that mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. for the most part you know the the legitimate artists that are doing it with you know truth and, and dignity not to sound too noble about it but you know like yeah. those are the artists yeah, that yeah, are yeah. gonna have their fans really really pay attention you know it's it's not gonna be i think that story. comes down to honesty and sincerity and and there are definitely artists out there that get it done but there are there's way too much fake in it these days i agree that uh that's that's problematic and it shouldn't i don't it's sad that technology makes it easier for some people to fake it but that gets back to the whole EDM thing like I just don't I can't call anybody with a laptop a musician I'm sorry what? I have my I, reservations I have, I have a lot of um, I agree with that statement to a, to a large degree however the, artist sure musician well but then <laughs> there are some that are really really awesome that do a combination of the two um, I've seen that happen I've seen that happen Guys that, uh, like, there's a guy for a band called the Cat Empire that I love. And DJs that can live mix and loop back what's mm-hmm. being played live on stage, that is an impressive thing. There's a that band is very called Iodo. Cool. Uh, it's actually, um, unless I'm mistaken, it's one of the members from the String Cheese Incident. Oh, cool. Um, who has his, his own electronic project called Iodo. And yeah. um, that's what that's based around off. It's very live improvisation, but there's a lot of looping that's involved. Um uh, the band Grizz is actually a DJ. Um, he's he's really popular, especially in the festival scene right now. I actually got to see him uh, at last year's Halloween, mm-hmm. um, and he's a DJ. How Most, is he a band and a DJ? Well, That's well, where my so, brain breaks. Okay, so maybe I should I should realign that a little bit. He's not a full band most of the time. Mm-hmm. He's a saxophone player. Oh, okay. So his elect his style of electronic music isn't, you know, EDM. I feel like as a whole gets a really bad rep from a lot of the real trap like bass wub wub styles. Yeah. But yeah. as a like as a as a whole, there's a little bit more depth to that genre that I think that people give credit to. And I'm not a advocate or a proponent of mm-hmm. EDM. Absolutely not. Like I think music is best when it's done organically. Sure. But there are some, and, and Grizz is, is like super funk based. I mean, like he, yeah. there's a lot of really cool rhythms that are done. He does have a variation where he does play with a live band that's combined with his DJ aspect, but he is a damn good horn player. That sounds uh, interesting. And, and his show is uh, pretty outrageous. That's like, uh, I got to run sound for a guy named Ryan Visor one time, who plays, he plays trumpet and DJs. Uh, and does some of that same thing. So yeah, there's some cool stuff yeah. out there. You have to dig well, a little bit deeper past the the bullshit of and I what can, a lot of that is. Yeah, and there's some. There's I think there's a group called Celestial, maybe. Uh, I think so. I, I'm not familiar, but I've heard the name. Yeah. Now, and I don't know exactly what they like. How many people there are if they record anything live, but you can tell by listening to it that they're taking what was performed music through an instrument at one point in time. Like, they'll try to take a trumpet part. Yeah. Whether that was recorded live for their purposes or not, it's a real trumpet track, and they will take and then incorporate that into into this mix. Now, whether that's one guy or a bunch of people doing it, I enjoy that more 
just because at some point somebody was actually playing an instrument. Yeah. I think that's really important to the for the connection of the energy that goes back and forth between a musician and an audience and what goes on in those situations. Like the fact that Dead Mouse was able to sit down and drink a beer on a couch in the middle of one of his shows, be it funny, be it art, whatever. To me that's that's a different kind of performance art. Like that's it not is. what that's not what a live band does. It, it absolutely isn't. But at the same time, it also is, you know, a viable form of art. It is. Um, you know, it just comes from a different sphere and a different mindset, you know. If I were behind the soundboard, I'd dump a beer on it in the middle of that crap, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to buy the album, and that's okay. Uh, it's just, it is It's just a different thing. It's a different form of entertainment that as someone who... I've got a great appreciation for computer programming too and I can see how there is an art in the ones and zeros but there's just something different about having this external processor involved did you ever it... hear of a there it was back in like I think he really hit the top of his game in maybe 2007 2008 territory maybe a little bit earlier than that were you ever familiar with a, or heard a name called girl talk nope so Girl Talk, Comedy bit, but. Girl Talk was very interesting because um, that particular DJ uh, kind of changed the scope of how record labels looked at sampling and mm. started to think about what copyrights truly mean in terms of, you know, the original versus a um, a derivation of that, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. a derivative of, of the original recording. And um, there's actually a record called, um, it's called The Grey Album um, that I, I would suggest taking a listen to. It's actually really, to. really cool. So uh, Girl Talk. The Grey uh, Album. Well, yeah, so literally what it is, is it is, and, and it's not just like, you know, when you think of it, when I say it, it's going to sound very simple. But when you go back and you listen to it, you go, oh, wow. You know, that, there was some, a lot of thought that was put into it. It's literally Jay-Z's The Black Album, mm -hmm. sampled, cut down to, like, single bars, mm -hmm. uh, combined with The Beatles' The White Album. Mm -hmm. And it's complete new arrangements and new versions of both sides of material combined into a record together. Hmm. Um, which is actually pretty cool. That's great. Idea. Um, it's it's obviously you know there's some people that look upon it and they go yeah that's not original music and you're right it's not original music in its original form it's definitely sampled but you know there has to be something said about creativity and yeah I mean we all and I say we all is in in as someone who works with a bunch of musicians but um, even as musicians you know there's there's only so many notes in a scale there's only so much music physically that can be played we all reference different things from the artists that we listen mm -hmm. to um, mm -hmm. and naturally that's a little bit more concrete because you're literally pulling samples from it mm -hmm. but you know the comparison of of the way that that works isn't extremely far-fetched you know people yeah. listen to, to chords to riffs and to their favorite solos and they take bits and pieces of it and they implement it in their performances and rearrange and it becomes something that's totally new um, on that side, of, and um, yeah, it's an interpretation, uh, and it, it gets a little bit more layered and a little bit more deep when it's done organically, and you can't look at it and go, "Yes, that is that part." You cut it from that song, like in an electronic sense. But yeah, it's a cool record. I would definitely recommend. Well, and that goes it. back to branding. So, a guitar player 
can put a, a brand, can put a stamp, like B.B. King had a lick. Yeah. You know, guitar players have a lick. They've got a brand. They've got a stamp. They've got a style. Are Does that exist in the EDM world? Can you, can you through a computer, put a fingerprint on something that other people can recognize? I imagine the answer would there be yes. There definitely is. Like if I the said, art's I'm high not, enough, right? I'm not someone that's very in tune to EDM music, I can't claim to be any type of expert. I've seen some performances on some larger scale festivals. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I actually just saw one performance that I really liked. I saw Big Gigantic for the second time. Um, the first time I saw him, I, I thought it was really rad. Uh, the second time, I just got back from Okeechobee Music Festival down in South Florida. What was that like? Um, really awesome, actually. Um, you know, it's, it's a different uh, atmosphere in compared to what I'm accustomed to through, you know, my experiences with Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The time of the year is different, obviously, so weather is a little bit different. But just being down in the south and in the, uh, you know, you're getting closer and closer to Everglades territory down there in South Florida. Um, Snakes and alligators, you become further and further down the food chain is what happens. (laughs) Um, But no, it was really cool. Terrifying. Um, Some friends of mine uh, run an apparel company called uh, Grassroots California. Uh, based out of um, their their home office is actually in Colorado. They started in Los Angeles, mm. moved into Colorado, and now they have uh, another location in Chicago. And um, they had a, uh, me and a friend down there helping out with some vending down at the festival, and uh, we got to, to tail along with them and and catch some really good music. Uh, That's always fun, man. Yeah, man. the The top performer of the entire fest for me was absolutely a gentleman named Corey Henry. I don't know if you're familiar Never with heard. Name. Do tell. Enlighten Corey us. Corey Henry has got to be one of the baddest synth players on the planet. This guy mm. eats keys for breakfast. Mm. Um, he started, well, I can't say he started with. The first time that I ever heard Corey Henry's name was in association with Snarky Puppy. Which Is this the kid in the video that just, that his... Just torches it so bad that every other keyboard player with Snarky Puppy is just sitting there going, "No." Yes, it's yeah, that, that guy. <laughs> what, what, uh, what the name of that song is? We like it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, okay. It's actually, I think I believe that's the title of a record as well. I did not yeah. know that was his name, but I am familiar with his work. Yeah, because yeah, it it no. makes an impression. Yeah, Corey <laughs> is a bad mamma jamma. Like, there's no other way to put it. But yeah, he's been I'll so. That. So with Snarky Puppy, he's still very involved in their projects. When uh, Snarky Puppy cuts a new record, uh, he's there in the studio and he's doing work with them. But um, as far as like regular rotating tours, uh, he actually tours with a group called Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles now. Um, and then, I know he's he's involved in Snarky Puppy shows when they do like really really large festival bills. Sure. Um, I've seen Snarky Puppy a few times. They're always a treat. And I love the concept of them to begin with. Like, yeah, me too. I always have. Because they don't do, they don't do like the videos that you see from those. Those are their records. Right, right. And I love how they bring their audience into the studio and bring they they bridged a gap that I think was missing for a long time, and that is the energy of a live recording. Because you need an audience. It's just like in any other form of communication. It's a feedback loop, and you need every component of that feedback loop to get the highest potential energy yield out of exactly. it. And they, and they bridged that gap. Not the first, but they did it in a major way such that they, they get oh, recognized yeah. as one of the bands that brought it back in a big way. Well, and they're definitely one of the ones that I feel like does it the most efficiently. For they sure. They make it look like, so good. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, have you seen their, um, they have a record called Silva, 
Um, no, I hadn't seen that one. It is probably one of the most masterful pieces of music that yeah. I've ever seen or listened to. Like, So Silva is not just... Snarky Puppy, I'm pretty sure, performs as a 14-piece band. I don't know what the... Um, the exact numbers. I don't know the exact number. I also don't know how that would actually be said in a word. You know, you have quartet. <laughs> what is a 14-piece band? Someone on Facebook, look up what a 14-piece uh, band is. It's, it's, I'll keep an eye out. Somebody <laughs> so we can, so we can figure that out. But uh, so it's it's the core members of Snarky Puppy uh, with Corey. Um, and it also has a, I'm pretty sure it's about a 47-piece orchestra called Metropole Orchestre from France mm. that's attached to them. Yeah. Um, because Snarky Puppy, they're actually distributed very heavily in Europe. They're um, so this believe... is straight up Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, I mean, like it's we went like... from jazz funk band to jazz funk orchestra. Yeah, but it's still super true to Snarky Puppy. It doesn't oh, sound sure. like a orchestral performance in like a very classical way or right. traditional way. I just remember Slow Demon. Like I can hear an entire violin section oh, when yeah. that dude tears into There's some that incredible violin like, little flute runs. Oh, I mean, they man. have all kinds of stuff in there. It's, I can just, oh, I can hear it with the orchestra back And the way they so filmed cool. it is, is beautiful too. Like the, uh, every member of the band is wearing complete white from top to bottom, yeah. including the orchestra. And then the only thing that has color on the entire stage is Michael League's bass. It's candy red. <laughs> so it's just like, you know? Yeah. Silva. S-Y-L-V-A. Definitely. Silva. They they definitely, I believe they did take a Grammy for it uh, in the jazz category. I'm That's pretty great. sure that Snarky Puppy has taken a Grammy for the last four records that they've released. Yeah, I don't in a it. row. Yeah. I do not doubt it. Just so cutting edge. So out there. And when you're when you've got a camp that's producing guys like Corey. What do you expect? I mean, yeah. That, and he may he he won't be the last. Like there will be there will be another phenomenon that comes out of that collective oh, yeah. of musicians. Yeah, I think because that's what collective of musicians do is they just churn out phenomenon. Yeah, it's, after phenomenon. it's funny. Some people I know. Uh, I, I definitely. I don't think I, I really jumped into the fray necessarily, but I do remember reading a. Uh, a thread on Facebook where someone said it was uh, glorified elevator music, and I was like, "What?" And it was a musician that said it, and I was like, "Like, I understand that. Sure, you know, so it's yeah. not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but like, you have to be able to look at that and go, those guys are some of the most incredible players.' Yeah, I mean, those guys are incredible." It's you, insane. Call it, you can call it whatever yeah, you yeah, want, whatever as long you as they keep handing over Grammys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can you can make up a new category for yeah. it as long Is as they it, keep handing over Grammys. Yeah. Nobody gives a crap. But it's it's different when a band like Snarky Puppy clean sweeps Grammys than like you know, and and I'm not hating on the dude, but like if it's there's a difference between Snarky Puppy winning a Grammy and Bruno Mars winning a Grammy. You right. know? <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there's just a difference, and it's, it's done in a pattern just consecutively time and time again like it speaks volumes to like the caliber of musicianship and what the vision of that band is and right. those guys are just out of the park awesome so fun so fun I got to see them once before the big splash Slow Demon was the only that was the biggest thing that they had on YouTube yeah and I got to see him at that point in time so it was it was like a month before everybody knew who the fuck they were. 
But I got, I, I am so, so grateful because I was at this little place in Cincinnati called the Mad Frog. And uh, it was such a small venue and there weren't a whole lot of people that knew about him yet. So we got to hang out with him. Like it was real chill, real relaxed and got to spend time with him. And I talked to, uh, I can't remember his name now, uh, trumpet player, tall, skinny guy, really nice. Everybody I talked to in the band was, was really cool. They hung out with us out back and that would never happen again. Like yeah. you could never get that close to Snarky Puppy again well, without it, having serious connections. Well, you'd say that, but so. <laughs> but are they, they, well, so. Do they hang out in public still? Like I imagine it, they're too busy for shit like well, that these days. It, it, it happens at random and it's funny that you say that because like literally uh, I remember the 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 first time that I was with Post Pluto and we played Hulaween, we actually shared stages with Snarky Puppy. Oh cool. Um, they played later in the day yeah. uh, on the same stage that we were on and uh, I remember walking into that festival and like thinking, you know, like what are the bands that I wanted to see and uh, you know, when you play a festival, obviously there's some some perks to it. You definitely get sure. to walk in some places that uh, that are off limits to mm -hmm. you know the general people that are the general admission bands that go through. So, you know, of course, before we were leaving, we were talking about you know like what musicians we would love to meet, and you know the top of my list was Michael Leake um, because he does he does a, a lot of the arrangements for that band, mm -hmm. and um, I just the way that his mind works with music blows my mind. But, so that was, he was like the guy that I, I, I walked into, I talked about it the whole time. I was like, man, I'm gonna walk to Michael League, I'm gonna shake his hand, like I'm just gonna <laughs> tell him how much of a badass he is. And so they played, it was awesome. Um, everybody, like I, I went I went behind the stage and like got side stage and everybody from, particularly from the New Orleans scene was there. I know Dave Shaw from The Revivalist was standing right next to me watching him. Uh, the guys from Trombone Shorty, the New Orleans Avenue, yeah. were all there. Um, Grammatic, who's a, an electronic artist, was watching because he had changed stages too early in the day, and so did Sound Tribe. And, uh, and it was just, and everybody was all huddled up just watching the madness of watching them play, which is incredible. <laughs> and uh, I remember when they wrapped up, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to be that guy, you know. It's a little bit different not being like a musician that's on the caliber or working at the same, you know, the exact same level as him. Sure. You just like walk up immediately after a performance and I want to have a conversation. Like, I try to be like, you know, if I meet people that um, that I know are really high caliber musicians, I like to, to, to have respect for, you know, yeah. their space, especially immediately after a performance. So I kind of coasted out, you know, that we had, we wanted to go see some other acts and uh, I really wanted to meet him. And then of course, uh, later that day, I get back to, to camp and, and Gordon, the guitar player from Post Pluto, Gordon Frank, comes back and, and he was like, so guess what dude, and I was like, what? He was like, I was standing in line getting a hot dog at a vendor and uh, I met Michael League and his mom. <laughs> they, they were standing in line behind me That's and I was great. like, get out of here, man. That was like the one guy. <laughs> like, oh, I wanted to meet him so I bad. Paid good money to be and, trapped in line maybe, with him. Maybe it wasn't a hot dog. I think actually it might have been like some Chinese bowl. Like, you know, he was getting like a like an Asian bowl of food or something like that from a vendor. And I was like, of course, like you would just be, you know, doing your doing your thing, going to get some food <laughs> at random, and would run into the guy that like I wanted to see the entire time. Him and Charles Bradley were the, the ones that I was really... And unfortunately, Charles Bradley, um, two years ago, he was billed for Halloween. He was also billed for Voodoo. He ended up having to cancel both because... And he's a, he was a part of Daptones Records, which is the same, the same record label that held Sharon Jones. Okay. Um, 
and Sharon and Charles were both diagnosed with different forms of cancer. Um, and Charles Bradley's story is absolutely insane. He got signed, his first record contract came at the ripe age of 73. Uh, he was a James Brown impersonator in Brooklyn, New York for over 40 years. Um, just grinding, he lived with his mom, took care of her full time, had been doing that for over 30 years. Um, and finally hit his break in music and within it couldn't have been more than two years, you know, of him signing that contract that he had gotten the diagnosis, and so he had to pull. I remember it was like three weeks before uh, Halloween in 2016, and he ended up having to cancel every single day. Uh, an entire tour got wiped out. Uh, Voodoo was pulled. Halloween was pulled. His entire Northwest tour was pulled, um, and and he went in the hospital and was there uh, doing chemotherapy and, and making the rounds towards recovery. And um, I just remember being so bummed out about it. And then the next year, um, right around February or March, his health picked up and he started releasing tour dates again. Mm. And then summer came around and the Halloween lineup dropped and he was included again on Halloween and on Voodoo Fest with a whole nother tour. Ooh. Again, three weeks before entire dance canceled his health went right back down and then immediately following Halloween he actually died oh and he was like definitely one of the musicians that like I wanted to see so badly they call his you know the musicians that get like that hard especially in soul music always have like a surname you know mm-hmm. um, and his was the screaming eagle of, of soul the screaming eagle yeah the screaming eagle and uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to Charles Bradley's music, definitely, definitely give it a run. He is, he is the man. I will, I will. I um, I'm a neophyte in in the music world. Like I don't listen to as much music as, for as much music as I've worked around. Yeah. Nah, I've read way more philosophy than I've listened to music. Yeah, I I I don't I can't say that um, as much as I used to at least in previous years that I spend as much time as I was like just scouring different artists on Spotify or, or mm. you know back in the day I think the platform that I was using was a website called Pure Volume um, which was very like you know I actually grew up as like a punk kid oh in, yeah in music yeah yeah oh absolutely you know my favorite one of my favorite bands growing up was Against Me which is a a band that originated in Gainesville. Um, what? They're like, you know, against me. I feel like we need to phone a friend. Where's my little brother when we need him? Yeah, right. He, like <laughs> he, he would know. Like I guarantee he knows this band. He uh, he took me to a Warp tour one time. This is close to punk I ever mm-hmm. ever got. Bad religion. I got into bad religion. Yeah, I but mean, this is that's as much as I know about punk. Yeah, right I there. mean, <laughs> punk had some cool stuff. I think what like I identified with punk music was just how like, and in. There was definitely some times where I delved more into the pop side of punk, um, and then there were times where I got more into like what I would quintessentially say is like straight punk music, uh, and things that had more like old school vibes to it, like Social Distortion, Bad Religion, Black Flag, mm-hmm. uh, Misfits, kind of bridging into more like hardcore kind of things. Um, against Me though was like the quintessential Florida punk band, and I mean I remember seeing them in. I saw them at house parties. I saw them in a, a secret show in a warehouse in Orlando. Um, where like Pete, you know, you know, like when you think about punk shows, I, I always envisioned it, and I actually got to see it, you know, 
like where pe- like kids are hanging from the ceiling rafters and like, <laughs> you know, the band's playing on like a two foot tall like wooden stage and they have a Walmart PA and like you know it's, they're just <laughs> and they're crushing it and it's crazy because against me at the time when I saw that show they were actually a successful band the last time that I'd seen them prior to that they were actually touring with as support for the Foo Fighters and they had come to Pensacola and played the Civic Center. Oh shit! Yeah, the Bay Civic Center. Um, actually, I got kicked out of their dressing room by Dave Grohl. <laughs> True story. I was like seventeen, Hang on. sixteen, maybe. Okay, you got kicked out of a dressing room in the Pensacola Bay Center by Dave Grohl. It was Dave Grohl and the tour manager for uh, the Foo Fighters. Hang on, let's straighten up so this guy can park right here. Hang on a sec. Hang on. This parking lot's filled up because the band that you hear in the background is tearing it up. And yeah, so we're gonna. It's Anthony. Some... We're down here at Paradise, Pensacola Beach. So Anthony just started probably about just a few here. Twenty-six minutes. There you go, man. Cool, cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. You're welcome. Yeah, that's me awkwardly handling a social situation. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. But, uh, anyway, I tell you that's no, nice something I struggle with sometimes. Like, especially when I was when I if I'm working a show, mm-hmm. if I'm running lights or I'm running sound at a show, uh, you know, as an as an agent or primarily, you know, I've worked as a manager for a few different bands, and mm-hmm. you know, it. It's very hard for me to, to lose the focus on the band's performance yes. and have conversations with people. I've actually, like, I've had moments where I was like, you know, someone would talk to me and I'd be very short or, or wouldn't have, they wouldn't have my attention. Um, and, and I'd be like, ooh, was I rude just then? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm stuck in between a rock and a hard place right now because yeah, I'm kind of uh, supposed to be the guy that talks to everybody, but I'm also supposed to be the guy that's totally focused on what I'm doing and it's got to be the best of both worlds right now. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, I can play that role, but it's not who I am. And when people, like when, when people get past the veneer of hi, I'm being polite, it's, it's intentionally terrifying. Because I don't like for people to waste my time, and I'm old enough now that I can start being shitty about it and just being like, nah, nah, don't waste my time. I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And so I don't mind it as much. But my OCD and my social anxiety is just, it takes a lot of effort for me to, to do that. It like looks I'm, like I just took a look for the, the comments for the first time. It looks like Tyler Max is about to be on the scene. Tyler, you watching right now, boy? I know you probably are. Oh, is he coming this way? Yeah, he's, he's probably at Paradise over there right now. Tyler, oh, if Tyler, if you're here, come to the back parking lot and say hello. We'll get yeah, you. Yeah, dude. The, we'll get you come, on the podcast. Come hop in the car, man. I would. I've been. <laughs> I've been talking to Tyler uh, about coming on. I've been trying to talk to everybody. Uh, if there's, you should be like what you should do in the future is you should have like a few guests, and rather yeah. than having it be a podcast, like a like a David Letterman style show, you know. We've done that. Like my next guest, and then he gets in the back. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we haven't done that. We will definitely that would do be that amazing. soon. <laughs> we will line it up. Put and that just in your pocket and, and take that idea with you. Yes, <laughs> we will. Uh, we haven't choreographed it, but it's happened. I was sitting with my buddy Matt Mosley, and uh, you can go back and check, check the archive. Uh, Graham, uh, Graham Cracker Clark, both uh, local comedians, uh, showed up to the open mic that we were early to to film to to record an episode, 
and Matt and I were cracking each other up so bad that uh, Graham could hear us in his car across the parking lot. Yeah. And so he came to investigate, and he just climbed in, and when we add, we just built, <laughs> nice. we just collected people. So uh, we will definitely do that. But I think we need to, oh, so we need to do that. And then we need to do the version where Jonathan Newton called Preston Stanfield and said, "Meet us downstairs." Yeah. And we picked, we swooped Preston and got him to tell the story, uh, a couple stories. But I think we got him to tell the Rascal Flat story that night, if I remember correctly. The Rascal Flat story. Yeah, you know, uh, Preston knew all those cats before they became Rascal Flats. He was playing with a couple of different people and helped introduce them to each other. He did introduce them to each nice. other. Without Preston, they would not have, have gotten together. Preston's a so, tremendous player. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. A bad man, man, he's got some great stories, too. I can't wait to get him on and get, to get him to, to talk to people. Like, some of the stuff that he's been through just as a player. Uh, and not to mention the big ride and the big show that he's been on, but just, you know, some of the stuff that the lessons he's learned. Yeah. I've learned a lot listening to that, that kind of stuff. I guess that's the best context to put it in is he tells some great stories and has experienced some cool stuff. Got some good <laughs> anecdotes. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, there and there are lots of people that I've been trying to get on, so if... Um, who's on your short list? Maybe we can apply some pressure. Uh, who's on the short list? Yeah. Anybody that's on my friend list on Facebook, uh, I have people come up to me and say, hey, can I be on your podcast? Well, but yeah, but that's, yes. your, that's your long list. Who's on your short, so, your short list? Not your short shit. Um, man, well, around town, the, the usual... My buddy Justin Headley is at the top because he, mm -hmm. he and I miss I each Justin. other all the time. And he is way at the top of we should have done it a long time ago. But then after that, um, the same circle that you run in with Hart and Mac and Owen hadn't been on the show yet. Uh, and all the cats that have been over to the camper out at my place that I've worked with at the Bama, that would be another way to, to narrow it down. All the people that I worked with that never got in on the PKPR thing uh, or weren't there while we were doing it. So, you actually never got to go by the camper. Let's see. Well, y'all need to come by, the camper, come by the camper then. Maybe maybe the camper. I'll bring uh, I'll bring John and the and the gang over there one day and we'll have a throwdown. Not in the middle of the night you won't. That's what got us in trouble last well, time. Well, I don't mean in the middle of the night. I mean we can we can do we can have a daytime throwdown, whatever. And I don't mean throwdown. We gotta have a big party. cookout. We gotta have a big cookout. Dude, I got a big that would grill be... <laughs> that's underused. That's the other thing I want. Are you to gonna be the grill master in that podcast? Like the like I'm imagining the angle of the I can camera. be. You know, you're sitting in there, you've got yeah. your kilt with like a you know, a um damn, what's the uh an apron on. Oh yeah. Flipping just patties, you know. Grill master. Chef hat. Just call me Ron Swanson. I'll take all of the bacon. <laughs> I'm afraid what you heard was bring me bacon and eggs. What I meant was bring me all the bacon. Bring me all the bacon and eggs. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. That dude, I don't know if you're into stand-up comedy, but Nick Offerman's hour special on Netflix, American Ham. I've seen it. Oh, it's... Super. Oh, God. I hope to write something half that funny one day. He's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So let's see. Back to the short list. Um. The, let's see. There's, of course, Joe Rogan is way up at the top of people that I would love to interview, just because uh, he is one of the people that does podcasts the way that I like to do podcasts, which is I just want to sit down and have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. And of course, he is kind of the the son of that everyone else orbits around. I think that's a Russell Brand quote when it comes to podcasting. But uh, then you get into the fun guys like Graham Hancock. 
I would love to sit down and talk to Graham. Uh, I would also love to sit down and talk to um, a lot of guys in the philosophy field about what's going on ethically and social media-wise. Um, like Michio Kaku is a physicist that I would be interested in talking to. Ray Kurzweil. I don't know if you know who. I don't know who that is. Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil is the guy that invented Kurzweil synthesizers. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a futurist. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Started this whole pro thing up in uh, in the Northeast called Kurzweil Institute, and they get smart people together that uh, that have similar ideas, and they find funding. Like once they get these people that need to be gotten together together, they f they find ways to fund them, and they come up with all kinds of cool stuff. It's kind of like a public DARPA. Hmm. It's kind of where they're headed. That's neat yeah. stuff. I listened to some Joe, Joe Rogan podcast on the way back from Okeechobee. This is a pretty long drive. My schedule um, sometimes gets pretty pretty stacked. Yeah, man. I love road trips. <coughs> like that's I uh, used to listen to audiobooks before the podcasts were heavily available. I imagine now, I haven't done a long road trip. That's another thing that I want to do with the podcast is... Uh, have you seen the stories from the road or from the tour bus or whatever it is? I'm not sure. It's, it's. I've seen Jam in the Van. That's fucking odd. <laughs> Who did you see on Jam in the Van? Mike Love was the. I one mean, I've I seen saw. a lot of them, but um, that's that was actually the first time I had ever heard Marcus King. Was really? From Jam in the Van. Yeah. Um, which that's I was an interesting combo. First, yeah, I was very fortunate to uh, actually be a part of a, a Marcus King bill. Uh, had post Pluto on the South Sounds Festival in Mobile. Cool. And uh, it was us, Jimmy Lumpkin, and the Revival from Skate Mountain, yeah. and uh, Marcus King. And uh, <laughs> it was funny. Like I, I'm a, I have never been a man who's grown a lot of hair on the top of my head. I've always made up for it on the bottom. Uh, and uh, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an appreciator of hats. And um, <laughs> I went up. I, I walked up to Marcus and I was like, Hey, you know. It's very nice to meet you. I'm happy to be in the bill. You know, I'm the manager for Post Pluto. I said, uh, you know, you're a great player. Yeah. Um, I was like, but on another subject, like I have a, I have another question for you. Like, where in the world do you get your hat game from? <laughs> and I feel like his answer was was truthful, but also kind of like a, there's no way you're getting one of these hats kind of things. Because he answered very <laughs> short, very short. I mean, it was in a humorous way, but he was like, yeah, I have a guy in North Carolina that makes them custom for me. And I was like. <laughs> Checks out. Yep, you're absolutely right. There's no way I'm gonna get one of those hats. I saw. I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I, I like to to follow his little stories. Uh, he's in France right now, um, and I know that he either got an endorsement from Stetson, or he just went and balled out one day. Because I remember seeing a picture uh, from his front porch, and uh, there was just like eight boxes of Stetsons just stacked. <laughs> up, you know, and I was they like, were wanting his love. Yeah, one of the two, you know, never they, know. They were hoping he'd wear one out in public. Yeah. Talking about musicians, dude, that guy is the future of rock and roll right there. Like, he is. He just turned 22. 22 years old. He just turned 22, I think, three days ago. I didn't realize. Yeah, no, he, he was, uh, I think when we did South Sounds, I don't even think that he was 21 yet. Wow. I'm pretty sure he was 20 the last time that he played South Sounds Music Festival. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, Tyler Max says he's actually still at home listening. I was really hoping you were going to join us, Tyler. Gosh. That's okay. Soon. It's fine. I wanted to have a guest. We can work that out. I we wanted, work I it. Well, to. now now you're going to have to ask Tyler if you can be a guest on his podcast. Tyler. <laughs>
Can I come be a part of the dog pack? <laughs> uh, sure. I always sure. refer to Tyler as the dirtiest of the dogs. The dirtiest of the dogs. Tyler, you know, he's he's got those dirty notes. <laughs> all the dirty notes, all the fast notes, and all the freaking loud notes. That's T Mac. That's. <laughs> I, I I have a lot of nicknames for Tyler. I love my favorite one, uh, and I remember the first time I I, I, I was talking to him and uh, I used it, and he just he just died about it. I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, when you get really lost and, and you're doing your thing and you black out, and he's like, he's like, yeah. I was like, you know what they call that? And he goes, what? I said a temaculous conception. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good Maybe that'll be the, the name of his next record. Oh, a temaculous conception. <laughs> That's, I'm definitely gonna find a way to say that into a microphone yeah. soon. Yeah, we got to use that on his show. I, <laughs> that I, can be the name of the episode. Yes. Do you have titles for the episodes? Yeah, do now. <laughs> <laughs> for that one, I do. Tyler Mack colon <laughs> Temac- Temaculous Conception. It's <laughs> great. It's great. Maybe we need to get together and do some creative, like uh, you know, slogan work. Yeah, you should. You should, please. I am. I'm learning to be creative. That's what this whole stand-up comedy thing is uh, has become about for me. Yeah, I could never do stand-up comedy. I feel like naturally I'm a humorous individual, but it's all very um, in the moment, like quick wit. You know, I don't know if I have the uh, the potential to be able to to stand and and consistently, you know, deliver. You know, I don't. I don't. Uh, like, but I, I, I can stand up there and take a trashing. Like, I yeah, can take a bombing. So it happens I'm still to the best here. of us. Still here. No, it's uh, it's fun. It's fun learning how to. Yeah, to I'm definitely. I'm, I'm stoked that you're you have uh, you're doing something tonight. Um, between you know after later tonight we get you know yeah probably. So I'm glad probably gonna be able yeah. to stop by for a minute and be able to check you out because I haven't been able to see a, a, com- a comedy stand up from you before yet. That's because I. Actually, haven't I remember it. the first time that I saw you in a in a long while. I, that was the first time that I learned you even did it. Yeah, well, I just started doing it. I've only been doing it since September. So I, I still have all kinds of legitimate reasons to suck. <laughs> I'm milking that for all it's worth. <laughs> is this your routine? Like you It is now. And, 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 just, and just clobber yourself, beat yourself down on the nah, ground? <laughs> nah. No, just uh, being realistic. Being realistic. I'm, I'm apprehensive and self-conscious about being on a bill uh, tomorrow night. Which I, I have material and it'll go it'll go well, but it's one of the things that I hope is going to serve me well in this adventure is I'm hypercritical of myself and of always wanting to do better, and I'm hoping that will help me learn how to write jokes and be funny on demand uh, out of the things I already know how to do well. Like I know how to stand on stage and yeah. and and I get those things, but uh, but that's not what comedy is in its entirety. Those things are very small pieces that help. And so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just honest with myself about knowing that there, there is X amount of time that you have to stand on a stage and be uncomfortable before you ever get over that. And so not that that's the goal to go up there and be uncomfortable, but I just don't get phased by it when it happens. And so I don't mind talking about it and I don't mind being honest about it. When, when it happens, well, you know, because there's no way to get over it if you're not. Yeah, well, you know, they say like if you're not uncomfortable, <coughs> you're not growing. Right. You know, with discomfort, that's what leads to that. Yeah. So, yeah. I, mean, I think that's a natural. Uh, well, and and sooner or later, I'll be uncomfortable enough to write a funny joke. <laughs> so far, I've written like a handful, but I, like you, I'm better anecdotally. 
yeah. than uh, and and quick wit. So when someone pipes up while I'm talking on the microphone, oh, I get all giddy in the face. One of my friends called me out on it. He's like, I've never seen anyone get so excited to be heckled, yeah. <laughs> and because that gives me something to go off of, and I am well prepared for that. So that's uh, that's kind of a fallback for me, but. Since you mentioned it, I'll plug it uh, for for the none of you watching on Facebook. Uh, Thursday nights, we warm out. We've been at this for 70 minutes. We have. Yeah, so Facebook. Oh, everybody on Facebook said... We still uh, have, uh, we have one listener. We, that just chimed in. That's you. Oh, is that me? Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 there's two. Oh, there's two. No, there's, there's two. two. I just got back on, and that that's made legit. two. legit. No, there's someone that's that I'm legit. pretty sure it's T-Mac. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. Tyler's staying strong with us. Oh, heck yeah, man. Most people on Facebook can't make it past the uh, past the 45-minute mark. With, uh, to, hey, man, the fact that anybody tunes in at all is amazing. But plug-wise, I've got, uh, let's see, Tuesdays at the back porch are open mic. Wednesdays are the blind mule. Uh, in Mobile, open mic comedy, and Thursdays in Pensacola at the Olive Drop at eight o'clock, and then Shooters at Cordova Lanes late night, and then Back Porch Fridays in Pensacola. That's my weekly lineup. Hell yeah, that's actually it's pretty busy. It's not pretty bad. Busy week. Yeah, we're working on growing more. Uh, I've been working with uh, with a, f- a friend and a business partner on trying to to get more shows out on the coast side, and. Um, and just keep growing the scene, you know? I feel like comedy is something that goes hand-in-hand with live music, and the fact that they've grown so far apart makes our weird culture more possible. But in the days when comedy and music were tight and, and you could see comedians and good musicians together, there was something about that that just... It, you, you can't throw as much bullshit around when you've got incredibly talented musicians and incredibly talented comedians because then you have artistry and voice at the same time in two very distinct ways which shut down bullshit like no other like Lenny Bruce who you look look back to Lenny Bruce opening up for these crazy music acts and able to pull it off and you're just like holy shit yeah I don't think I've ever seen something like that it's impressive very recently at all no it doesn't happen anymore yeah it doesn't happen anymore the one I can think of is Bill Burr on stage in Philadelphia just eating shit for 15 minutes because it's a music concert and people aren't there to see comedy and so he just goes out there and rails the crowd (laughs) it's brutal I can imagine brutal but no one could have done it but but Bill Burr and but again this is me learning on the fly I've been a, a fan of comedy my whole life, but I didn't start talking into a microphone t- specifically to be funny until September. Yeah. So, so I got a long way to go. You're funny, but guy. I fucking love it, man. Fucking love it. It's a, it's addictive. Absolutely addictive. Mm, so that gets my plugs out of the way. Before we, uh, before we get out of here, uh, how do people find you? How do people find Sin Entertainment? Where uh, do you want them to go? In to, case someone's looking to go, hey, where, where do we if, send them? If you're looking to send it, send it's it. So it's that's the fun, the, the greatest thing I love about you know. I had a eureka moment. Honestly, I was a little, I was I was a little drunk when I thought of it, but it came to me and I was like, yes. Is it? I it had been 
man, it took me so long to figure it out. And when it hit, I mean, it was like a light bulb, and it was a beautiful was like, light bulb. Of course. And yeah, it, was, it definitely was that eureka moment. Um, but right now, you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Actually, I'm about to be posting um, some footage, actually an entire set, actually two whole sets from the Rebirth Brass Band show. Oh, cool. Uh, from Big Jam Space Driver's set. Yeah. Um, but Facebook at uh, Scent Entertainment Co., uh, Instagram at Scent Entertainment Co., Facebook, or YouTube, same thing, uh, www.scententertainmentco.com. Uh, th that page still has a little bit of work to do. Sure. Um, it's Basically right now it's a landing page, but I'm going to have, um, the problem that I'm having right now is figuring out a way to source, you know, I have a roster now of um, about, I'm getting close to 15 bands that I work with. Um, That's not, a good stable. Yeah, and not, not in an exclusive way, you know, I don't want to be a guy that you know, comes in, talks to a band, and is like, yeah, you know, I can help you out. Let me take over your business and all the rooms that you've booked yourself in. Now I'm the guy who's going to do that, and I just want to take a percentage. That's, that doesn't add value. Right. Um, everything that I want to do with, with artists is, is all about adding value where I can and exploring new possibilities, not being somebody that's just a middleman because yeah. it's not productive. It doesn't do good things for the scene. I agree um, with that. And it gives bad... Bad, uh, gives a bad representation to people who want to do that for real, um, and that's something that I've, I've even had problems with from um, people that have booked music in in the past in this music in this scene uh, that that definitely did become something more along like that, and now you know there are some venues or or rooms, not specific to Pensacola necessarily, but um, just in the southeast region that I've run across that are like, yeah, we don't we don't work with any agency or any agent period um even ones that i had worked with previously were like and they and they and i had had multiple groups at the same time then and i'm like yeah uh like i understand that notion but have you ever had a cancellation from me or a, a mishap or a banjo right. blade or any type of unprofessional you know action happen with any artist that i've had and they're like no i'm like then i don't quite understand it but at the same time, yeah. whatever. Those places I don't need to work with anyway. Some some people make their own lives difficult. I've learned very much recently that um, the vast majority of people are just walking around talking to mirrors that they pretend are other people. Yeah. And it's just it's that empty. It's that vapid, and just there's nothing there. So people. I imagine who make broad overarching generalizations in relationship to art and the way that art should be fostered and handled uh, probably need to go talk to Samuel Clemens about how generalizations are not accurate, including this one. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of the, particularly when you start getting into to booking music, especially in a very local setting of a region, uh, there is there there are politics to to the way that things work. Oh, I fucking and, politics. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of it either. But I also know that it exists and it's something you have to navigate. But yeah, generally, uh, you know, something that's new, it's growing every single day, um, and I'm excited to. Uh, you know, I've had people that have reached out to me and been like, you know, I'm, I, I, I see a lot of, a lot of information going around and a lot of people talking about, you know, what you're doing, and it's refreshing to, um, to hear that because, especially for me, because it's something that, you know, it's, it's not me working behind a band as a manager. You know, it's not, 
Um, it, this yeah. is something that's that's of my own that um, you know I'm only literally six weeks into. Um, I have over a hundred music events already scheduled for this year, and um, big launch party April 28th at Chizuko. That's right, going, April 28th. It is going to be the jam. Can't wait. Can't Actually, going to be the big jam. Big jam space driver, baby. April 28th at Shizuko's. What time? Uh, doors will open at 8. Show will start at 9. Good. Good, good, good. That'd be fucking perfect. Fucking perfect. I'm trying to think of anything else. I was going to ask you about universal basic income for artists, but we're going to save that for part two. So yeah, we, you can we'll, line we'll, up a guest. We'll be, we'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, line up, I'll line up some guests. Always good to see you, Kyle. Chris Acreage, thank you so much for joining us. We'll sign off on Facebook. There it is. Sin Entertainment, everybody. Facebook, hasta la vista. Truth, love, and peace to y'all on YouTube. And for everybody in podcast land, uh, thanks so much for hanging out. Until next time, truth, love, and peace.